and welcome, my faithful and loyal readers and listeners. Welcome to our daily devotional for May the 22nd. So if you'll recall, our daily devotional divided two different segments. We have a verse of the day segment, and we have it the Bible in one year segment. So the verse of the day for May the 22nd comes from Proverbs 18, 10 through 11, which says, The name of the Lord <coughs> is a fortified tower, the righteous servant, and are safe. The wealth of the rich is their fortified city. They are making it a wall too high to scale. So what these two proverbs illustrate is a genuine and an imaginary refuge, respectively. So a strong or fortified tower was a central place in a region or a city to which people could run when threatened. So the Lord's name implies his character as the eternal, powerful, faithful, and covenant-keeping God. To the righteous people who call on rely upon their faith in the character of God will be protected, which literally means exalted or lifted up so the enemy cannot reach them. So a rich man relies on his wealth when he is threatened. To him it seems like a high or a literally exalted wall around a fortified city, but that is only in his or her imagination. Because in reality, wealth cannot save only God can save. So what the Bible means you need to do to be caught up through May the 22nd. Second Samuel chapter 1 verse 1 through Second Samuel chapter 2 verse 11. John chapter 12 verses 20 through 50. Psalm 118, 19 through 29. And Proverbs 15, 27 through 28. So that concludes our verse of the day segment for May the 22nd. Now we're going to move into Arthur the Bible in one year segment for May the 22nd, which by the way is day 142. And if you have missed any of these of either the first of the day or or Arthur the Bible in one year segments, you can go back and get caught up with them by visiting upstatechristian.com. So our focus for our um, for the Bible in one year segment for May the 22nd is going to be John chapter 8 verses 21 through 30. So what we, what we saw on May the 21st 
when we saw once again a dispute over Jesus' testimony about himself. And what we're going to see on in this segment for May the 22nd is we're going to see once again a dispute over who Jesus is. And it is this dispute that is the fundamental concept that John is developing in his gospel. So with that, we're going to pick up in verse, uh, John chapter 8, verse 21. We're going to go through verse 22 for right now. Which says, once more, Jesus said to them, I'm going away, and you will look for me, and you will die in your sin. Where you go, where, or excuse me, where I go, you cannot come. This made them Jews ask, will he kill himself? Is that why he says, where I go, you cannot come? So here, what Jesus here returns to is his theme of his departure. So in the previous section, the truthfulness of Jesus' witness was the lens through which to view his identity. So in this section, Jesus' departure, which will be his death, resurrection, and ascension, now become the lens through which we see Jesus' identity. So the fact that Jesus was going away meant that the crowd would not be able to follow him and would die in their sins. Or excuse me, in their sin. The singular use of sin suggests that Jesus was speaking not about individual sinful acts, but about the single and decisive sin of rejecting God's Son. <coughs> so we see it here at the very end that the Jews were wondering if Jesus was talking about committing suicide, because that's what they would have thought when he said he was going someplace they could not follow because to a Jewish person to commit suicide is in their minds a mortal sin. In other words, it's an unforgivable sin just as it is to certain Christian denominations. Now we're going to pick up in verse 23 and we're going to go through verse 24, which says, but he continued, but he continued, and he here being Jesus, you are from below, I am from above, you are of this world, I am not of this world, I told you that you would die in your sins if you do not believe that I am he, you will indeed die in your sins, so he Jesus explained the reason for their lack of comprehension of this relatively easy and easy <coughs> relatively easy to understand concept, excuse me. <coughs> so they did not understand him because they were of this world while Jesus came from above. So while Jesus followers do so we see that Jesus followers do not belong to the world. So Jesus here warned the crowd again of the danger of dying in their sins if they refused to believe in him. 
which is the part that says, I told you that you would die in your sins, for if you do not believe that I am he, you will indeed die in your sins. Right, so, he did switch from the singular sin to the plural sins, meaning that the sin of rejecting him manifests itself in individual sinful acts. So now we're going to pick up in verse 25, and we're going to go through the end of this section, which takes us to verse 30. Here's what verse 25 says, Who are you, they asked. Just just what I have been telling you from the beginning, Jesus replied. I have much to say in judgment of you, but he who sent me is trustworthy, and what I have heard from him I will tell the world. They did not understand that he was telling them about his father. <coughs> so Jesus said, when you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am he, and that I do nothing on my own, but speak just what the Father has taught me. The one who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do what pleases him. Even as he spoke, many believed in him. So the question of Jesus' identity represents the fundamental question of John's Gospel. So Jesus responded to the Jews, to those that were questioning him, by restating that he had been sent by God that he spoke for God. Jesus had told them this from the very beginning of his ministry, and he had not strayed from this assertion, because an assertion means it's possibly not true, it's not a claim either, from this truth at all during his entire earthly ministry. So the, the, foul cr- so the f- crowd failed to grasp Jesus' words concerning his relationship with God. So his comment about being lifted up points to his crucifixion, to his resurrection, and to his exaltation. Jesus spoke with boldness and peace about his own brutal death because he would not die alone. Even in death, the Father would not abandon Jesus. So we see at the very end here, this section is a contrast to the way the previous section concluded. Because we see here that they wanted to arrest him at the end of the, what was on the previous section, was that they wanted to arrest him, which is how, which is what verse 20 says. It says, he spoke these words while teaching in the temple courts, near the place where the offerings were put. Yet no one seized him, because his hour had not yet come. So you see, they wanted to seize him, but they couldn't seize him, because his hour had not yet come. And we see at the end of this section, is that 
These people finally came to believe that Jesus is who he says he is. So, the question now becomes, what is your response to Jesus' words about his identity? Do you choose to believe in him, or do you choose to reject him? Because that is the fundamental question. That is the fundamental question of John's Gospel. What do you do to what Jesus has said about his identity? What has been proven time and time again about who Jesus really and truly is? Usually until you can answer that fundamental question of John's Gospel. Nothing else in John's Gospel will make the slightest bit of sense to you. That's why I said chapter 8 starts the moment of John's Gospel. Everything else preceding John chapter 8 has built up to this point. And we're now going to start to get to the, the high point of John's Gospel, which we will see in a few weeks' time when we come to the crucifixion, when we come to the very end of John's Gospel. We're almost to the very pinnacle, so we can now start back down the other side of John's Gospel. And so we will pick up from here on May the 23rd when we discuss the dispute over whose children those who oppose Jesus are. So in order for you to be able to follow along with that discussion, here's what you need to read. So you need to read Second Samuel chapter 2 verse 12 through Second Samuel 3 verse 39. You need to read John chapter 13 verses 1 through 30, Psalm 119 verses 1 through 16, and Proverbs 15, 29 through 30. Hello and welcome, my faithful and loyal readers and listeners. Welcome to our daily devotional for May the 20. Third. So if you will recall, our daily devotional is divided into two different segments. We have our verse of the day segment, and we have our through the Bible in one year segment. So our verse of the day for May the 23rd comes from James chapter 4, verses 7 through 10 which says this, Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come near to God and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. So in our determination to gain victory in spiritual battles against the evils we face, many of us as followers of Christ tend to focus on the last part of verse 7, which is the part that says, Resist the devil and he will flee from you. 
So what that means for what we we'll think he will be. We see here that by sheer determination we try to resist Satan's schemes, accusations, and temptations. And for a brief time, we may experience what seems like or feels like success. But in the end, we are often left with a sense of frustration, discouragement, and defeat. As we finally give in to Satan's relentless pressure, take your to sin. So what happens here is that in this situation the problem usually stems from two very distinct things. The first thing it, sten- it stems from is overlooking the first and most important aspect of this verse, which is submit yourselves then to God. So you gotta submit yourself to God, which must be the primary aspect of a spiritual victory. And the second thing we see that this problem stems from is trying to resist Satan in our own efforts, which is actually a consequence of not first submitting to God. So what then is the key to spiritual victory? The key to spiritual victory is is complete submission to God, rather than depending on our own resistance to the devil. Which is why James ends this little section with with the words of verse 10, which says, Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you So what then does this involve? It involves ten distinct different things. The first thing it involves is letting go of any sin you may have been hiding in your heart. The second thing it involves is praying for God's help, strength, and guidance. The third thing it involves is giving up any habits or activities that may give sin or temptation an entrance into your life or that may be hindering your spiritual progress. The fourth thing it involves is surrendering your own preconceived ideas and strategies on how to overcome sin or Satan and relying on God's strategies which we will which we will show you which he will show you as you continue to study his word and pray. So the fifth thing it involves is doing exactly what God shows you and following the Holy Spirit's guidance. The sixth thing it shows you is actively pursuing God's purposes and taking positive action so as to occupy your attention with spiritual matters. Which is the second thing it involves, the sixth thing it involves, excuse me. The seventh thing it involves is keeping a humble attitude toward God, others, and the situation in general. The eighth thing it involves is turning your attention fully to God with a desire to do what honors Him. The ninth thing it involves is continuing to rely on God and to pursue His purposes after you have gained spiritual victory. And the tenth and final thing it involves is gratitude to God for helping you resist and overcome Satan. So as we said on May the 21st, 
20 second during our through the vibrant one year segment what you need to read for may the 23rd in order for you to be prepared for what we're going to talk about in our through the bible in one year segment is second samuel chapter 2 verse 12 through chapter 3 verse 39 john 13 verses 1 through 30 psalm 119 1 through 16 and proverbs 15 29 through 30 so that concludes our verse of the day segment. Now we're going to move into our second installment, our second segment of our daily devotional, which is or through the Bible in one year segment. Again, if you have missed any of these along the way, you may get caught back up with them by visiting upstatechristian.com So we're now moving to Arthur the Bible in one year segment. So we are now on to and into day 141. So our topic for today, what we're going to be focusing in on for today is John chapter 8 verses 31 through 47. So what we saw yesterday was the dispute over Jesus' testimony about himself. So that's what we saw on May the 22nd. Today, we, on May the 23rd, we come to the dispute over whose children are those who oppose Jesus. So this debate that runs through the end of chapter 8 reveals the identification, or the, excuse me, the intensification the theological divide between Jesus and the religious leadership. So the two major issues at the heart of the debate are the truthfulness of Jesus' testimony and the falsehood of those who opposed him. So the repeated references to Abraham in this passage are the only references to Abraham in the entirety of John's Gospel. So these references to Abraham center on two related themes. The first one is Abraham's relationship to Jesus, and the second one is Abraham's relationship to Jesus' opponents. So this passage that we're now starting in can be divided into three sections. So the first section is where Jesus' opponents, you see that Jesus' opponents were physical descendants, not spiritual descendants of Abraham, which will take us verses 31 through 38. The second section we see is that Jesus' opponents were not children of God. That's verses 39 through 47. And the third and final section is that we receive Jesus greater than Abraham. That's verses 48 through 59, which takes us through the end of chapter 8. And we'll be covering the first two sections today, which, by the way, are the which are the sections that deal with the fact that Jesus' opponents are physical descendants, not spiritual descendants of Abraham. 
and that Jesus' opponents were not children of God. So we're going to pick up in chapter 8, verse 31, and we'll go through verse 38, which takes us to the end of that first of the three sections. So here's what it says. To the Jews who had believed him, Jesus said, If you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. They answered him, We are Abraham's descendants. We have never been slaves of anyone. How can you say that we shall be set free? Jesus replied, Very truly I tell you, Everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Now a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. I know that you are Abraham's descendants, yet you are looking for a way to kill me because I have because you have no room for my word. <coughs> I'm telling you what I have seen in the Father's presence. And you are doing what you have heard from your Father. So here Jesus is addressing those who appeared to put their faith in him. So the harsh nature of this debate that follows cause into question the genuineness of this group of people's faith. So we see that obedience to Jesus' teaching is evidence of saving faith. What we also see is the liberating power of the truth is unknowable without being Jesus' disciple. So keep in mind we're going to talk about this first section in great, great detail at the very end of this, because you got to get this first section. And the second section is very easy to understand. you got to understand this first section. So when we get all done going through this, we're going to go circle back around and talk about this. <coughs> so the second, the third thing we see is that the religious leaders' actions reveal that they were not genuine believers. So why? Because Jesus' comment about freedom hit a nerve with them. Their appeal to Abraham became a central thought. Became the central thought in this debate. And so the question that is being asked here is essentially this. Is it possible to claim a relationship to Abraham and reject Jesus? And the answer is yes. You can claim a physical relationship to Abraham, and say you're a physical descendant of Abraham, but you can't say that you're a spiritual descendant of Abraham and reject Jesus. So now we're going to start in chapter, uh, verse 39, and we're going to take it through verse 47, which says, Abraham is our father, they answered. If you were Abraham's children, said Jesus, then you would do what Abraham did. As it is, you are looking for a way to kill 
me a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. Abraham didn't know such things, or Abraham did not do such things. You are doing the works of your own father. We are not illegitimate children, they protested. The only father we have is God himself. You said of him, if God were your father, you would love me, for I have come here from God. I have not come on my own. God sent me. Why is my language not clear to you? Because you are able to hear what I say. You belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Yet because I tell the truth, you do not believe him. Can any of you prove me guilty of sin? If I am telling the truth, why don't you believe in me? Whoever belongs to God, hears what God says. The reason you do not hear is that you do not belong to God. Jesus here rejects his opponent's claim to be spiritually descended from Abraham. And he did this by focusing on their actions. So instead of doing what Abraham did, these people desired to kill Jesus. They essentially accused Jesus of being illegitimate while they claimed, keyword there is, claimed to be children of God. Yet they did not act like children of God. So the discussion... <clears throat> the discussion the discussion concerning paternity reached its conclusion with Jesus' assertion that his opponents were children of the devil, which would not have sat well with the religious leaders and the extremely religious people there in Jerusalem, just as it would not sit very well with us today. And so what Jesus is saying here is that he came from God, so their refusal to love him was evidence for the fact that God was not their spiritual father. So they belonged to their father, the devil, because they wanted to carry out his desires. Their father was a murderer and a liar from the beginning. We see that in Genesis chapter 3, verse 1, and we see that in Genesis chapter 4, verse 9. And they had murderous hearts towards Jesus, in keeping with their murderous father. So what, what was their problem? What was this problem? So the root problem was that they did not belong to God and therefore refused to hear and obey God's word. So just like I said before, now we're going to circle back around to these first six verses and what they can teach us. So we're going to kind of sort of do this in a little verse-by-verse -verse manner. 
So the first thing we need to see in this section, right, is that very first phrase, which says, uh, the very first verse, which says to the Jews who had believed him, Jesus said, If you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Hmm. So what's the phrase we're looking at there? What's the phrase we're going to focus there? If you hold to my teaching is the phrase we're going to be concentrating on there. So with that phrase, Jesus was not encouraging his disciples, both past and present, to rely on past faith or past experiences. Rather, what he was saying is that confidence about spiritual salvation is appropriate only if you hold to my, that would be Jesus' teaching, and genuine followers of Christ must continue to obey and live by the words of Christ. So now what do we see? So now we come to verse 32. Which says, then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Ooh, so what's the key there? The entire verse is the key there, right? But the really, really key, key part is that the truth will set you free. And that's the phrase you need to be focusing on. So what this is speaking of is not philosophical truth. Or in other words, the idea of truth or freedom from ignorance. So in the context of human knowledge, many things are true. Yet there is only one truth that will set people free from sin, destruction, and Satan's power. That truth is Jesus himself and the revelation of truth in his word. We can know that truth Personally, because Jesus is described as being full of grace and truth in the prologue, which is John chapter 1, but take in specifically in verse 14. He is the way, the truth, and the life. We see that in John chapter 14, verse 6, which we're going to come to later as we continue to walk through John's gospel. So Jesus' message is the word of truth. And here's some very important observations about truth. We got four of them. Right, so the first observation is that the highest life-saving truth is found only in God's Word, the Living Word, and the Written Word, which reveals the message of forgiveness and new life through faith in Jesus Christ. A second observation is that God, God's Word presents the truth that frees people from sin, the corrupt world, and from demonic powers. The third thing we see is that further revelation of truth is not needed to complete or enhance the Gospel of Christ. And the fourth and final observation we see is that truth saves and frees people spiritually. Or excuse me, the truth that saves and frees people spiritually is revealed only from God by His Spirit. So that's 1 Corinthians 2.10. And it does not, it does not originate from any person 
or from human wisdom. So now Romans one twenty five speaks of those who exchange the truth of God for a lie. So literally the Greek word there is Poseidon. Literally the lie like a pseudonym right of Satan. So at the end of time for those who refuse to love the truth and so we save that second se- <coughs> excuse me, second Thessalonians two ten, God will send a powerful delusion so that they will believe the lie and so that all will be condemned who have not believed the truth but have delighted in wickedness. So that's second Thessalonians two eleven and twelve. So thankfully we can escape this deception in this judgment by accepting and placing our lives on the truth of Christ and His Word. Because we have to remember the truth sets us free. The lie brings us into spiritual slave- slavery. The truth retires, or restores, excuse me, the truth restores, the lie or destroys. We are called to love Jesus in His words. We can know the truth that sets us free. So now let's move on into... Uh, So now we're going to go through verse 33 and verse 34, which says, They answered him, We are Abraham's descendants and have never been slaves of anyone. How can you say that we shall be set free? Jesus replied, Very truly I tell you, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. A slave to sin. And now a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. So the key phrase there is everyone who sins. So the New Testament clearly teaches that the Lord Jesus Christ himself brings the power and the control of sin in the lives of his true followers. So we see here is individuals who individuals who ha- habitually sin are still slaves to sin and are still allowing themselves to be under Satan's influence and control. Those who accept Christ's forgiveness and in a personal relationship with him based on his death and resurrection will experience freedom from sin if they continue to rely on him. So now we're going to come to the key part, which is verse 36, which says, So if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. So what we see here is that whether or not you recognize it, or whether or not those who are not followers of Christ recognize it, we, uh, whether or not, whether or not we 
choose to recognize it or not, whether or not those who are not Christ followers choose to recognize it or not. They are slaves to sin when they do not have a personal relationship with Christ. They're slaves to sin, they're slaves to Satan, and they're slaves to their own immoral behavior. Like, so they follow their own selfish desires and the cravings of their own sinful nature and the ways of the devil. So what do we see here? We're gonna see that we see three, three things that we can learn about spiritual freedom found in this one key verse stuck in the very heart of John's Gospel. So the first thing we see is that true followers of Christ who rely on the power and the guidance of the Holy Spirit who lives in them are set free from the power of sin and immorality. When they face temptation, they now have the power to do what God desires and requires. They are free to be God's servant and to do what is right. So that's the first thing we see. The third thing, oh, excuse me, the second thing we see is that freedom from slavery to sin, which is freedom from constantly giving in to temptation and experiencing the consequences of going our own way is the one sure standard by which we can tell if we are truly following Christ. We should see if we have a personal relationship with Christ, it should be evident that God's power has changed our lives and is continuing to transform our character, making us more like Jesus. It's a process called sanctification, to use a big churchy word there. Right, this way also need to see that anyone who is presently caught up in immoral and ungodly behavior has either never experienced true spiritual birth or has given themselves back over to sin. So what that second part means is that in other words, these the person that is constantly doing this, right, if they have had a true spiritual birth, what they have decided to do is to make themselves slaves to sin again, rather than enjoying the freedom, rather than living in the freedom that Christ has bought and paid for you with his own blood. So the third and final thing that we can see about we learn about spiritual freedom in this one small key verse is this. What it means is that we as Christians are not free or are not free from doing a spiritual battle against sin. So we must see that throughout our lives we will have to constantly fight against the pressures of the world, the pressures of our own spirit spiritual nature, our own, excuse me, of our own sinful nature, and the pressure of the forces of Satan. And we also need to see that complete freedom from temptation and the influence of sin will only come 
after we die and go to be with Christ or when Christ returns for his faithful followers. So what Christ is offering us now is his life-changing power to help us overcome evil and temptation and to grow spiritually. This power given through the Holy Spirit can set us free from the tendency to defy God and go our own way and enable us to live in a spiritually pure and blameless way. As you see, we've now reached the heart of the Gospel of John, which is that you got a choice to make. You can either choose to reject Jesus outright and to continue to live in your slavery to sin, where it has keep where it keeps you chained up and bound up, unable to do the things that God wants you to do, the things that God has called you to do, the things that God has planned for you to do, or, or you can choose to believe that Jesus is who he says he is, that Jesus is who the proof which we have seen in the Bible, the proof that is written in the text of the Bible shows that Jesus is you can use that to set to be set free from the bondage of your own life of sin so that you can live the life that God has called you to live so that you can live the life that you were made to live the life that you are that will bring you freedom because you see, the big reason there was this dispute over whose children, over who the, uh, over whose children, his opponents were, is because they thought that just because they were physically descended, the Jewish leaders and the Jewish people thought that just because they were physical descendants of Abraham, they had already had their freedom bought and paid for, and they could live however they wanted to live, regardless of whether or not it was in violation of God's law. But in reality, they were not living in freedom, they were living as slaves to the law. They were living as slaves to Satan, because they had chosen to keep themselves locked up in bondage, rather than accept the fact that Jesus is who he says he is. And so we will pick up from here tomorrow, when we finish John chapter 8, which is where we will see this third and final section in this particular section, this uh, third and final section <coughs> in this <coughs> passage, which is that Jesus is himself greater than Abraham, and in order for us to be able to do that, 
Here's what y'all need to read tomorrow. You need to read Second Samuel chapter four through six, John chapter thirteen, thirty-one through four fourteen, Psalm one nineteen, one seventeen. Uh, excuse me, uh, Psalm one nineteen, seventeen through thirty-two, and Proverbs fifteen thirty-one through thirty. Two.